0: Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. How many of you enjoyed Pastor Missy the last couple weeks? How many of you would prefer her to keep preaching instead of me? Listen, pastors aren't supposed to trick you and trap you, but that was a trap. That was a trap right there. I heard all three of you over here. (laughs) The truth is, she brought up some some topics that I believe warrant just a little more teaching. Really, what I'm trying to say is, she didn't do an adequate enough job, so here I am. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's okay, it's fine. Been married a long time, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. <laughs> One of the topics that she brought up is the topic of grace. The topic of grace. I want to dive in with both feet this morning on that. You know, we know that the New Testament era that we live in is defined by this thing, isn't it? That we've been, we've been saved by grace through faith. It defines the entire era. We are no longer under law. We are under grace. So then what is it? What does it mean what is it meant to do for us how does it how does it change things I want to talk about it a little bit today because I believe that most of the time we get it wrong and one of the ways that we often get it wrong is that we think that grace is this blanket that covers our sin I'd ask how many of you have heard that or believe that right now and I'm sure I would get the majority of your hands I assure you, Pastor Todd endorses my message and believes me not to be heretical. So we'll just throw that up there <laughs> ahead of time. You know, but, but we, we believe it to be a you know a, a blanket that covers over my wrongs, my sin, and it's like it's like, well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm late on my rent. Well, just have a little bit of grace. He's having a bad month. You know, somebody somebody snaps at you. Well, just just have a little bit of grace for them you don't know what's going on in their life right it's it's we we use it in our culture as this again this blanket that kind of covers over sin and so by extension we kind of we believe that the grace of God is actually something that forgives us of our sin I I would suggest to you that's that's not it at all you know, in fact, I would say most of the time we confuse the word grace with another common word called mercy. In fact, most of us probably would have an inability to distinguish between the two words, but yet they are very different words. And, and, and mercy mercy is a letting off of the hook. You know, mercy actually stands in between the offender and the justice, or uh, basically you could say it like this, what you deserve, Mercy stands in and does actually let you off of the hook for what you otherwise would have gotten had it not stepped in place, right? That is mercy. That's not grace. Grace is likened more unto favor, actually. It's a favor. In this case, it's, it's favor that we get specifically from God, and what's unique about faith is that it's not something that we earn through our merit or our good behavior. It's something that comes to us because our Heavenly Father is just that good. Right? So, so you've got to hear that. <laughs> this isn't something that I earn. It's not something that I can perform well enough to get. It's like, I, I, I need your grace, God, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mind my P's and Q's, and I'm going to make sure all my ducks in a row and everything is just exactly so, so that I can receive your grace. no. No, it's, it's a gift from a, from a good God. It's out of it, it, it really comes from a place of his mercy. <laughs> it comes from a place of his compassion, his overwhelming goodness, faithfulness, and his love for you. It is not something that you have to earn. So that's what we have to put out as a preface as we get started. We find an example of this this morning, and this is going to be some of you are going to cock your head. You ever see a little dog that hears a weird noise? They cocked their head. This is going to be you this morning when I say turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. (laughs) We find this curious example in the example of the apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh. And as you're turning there, let me give you another example. I mean, just to, to, yes, analogy, I guess, just to kind of drive the point home. You know, grace would be likened unto trying to carry a heavy burden Everybody, tried, You ever try to carry something that you actually can't, and you're like, oh, and you're caving under the pressure of it, you've got to put it down, right? No, grace doesn't let you off the hook. Grace doesn't come in and say, oh, you don't have to carry that anymore. Grace actually leverages me and empowers me to be able to carry what I otherwise could not have carried on my own. So just to put it in perspective, we see this kind of grace working itself out, and this beautiful thing called the thorn of the flesh. So it's going to look like I'm diverting a little bit, but I assure you we will circle right back to grace. Let's start out together in verse 7. It says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for, uh, of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Verse 10, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, traditionally, people, uh, and this is part of why this is an unusual place to, to talk about grace or to find grace. Uh, part of the reason for that is because people interpret this, uh, can I just say wrongly, that this is the primary place where people would look and interpret it and kind of go, oh, well, it looks like Father God is sending sickness and disease to the Apostle Paul in order to keep him humble. Has anybody ever heard that doctrine? Well, this is where it comes from, right? Uh, and, and we extract, and well, if he would do that to the Apostle Paul, then obviously he would do that to us. And we run off and make all kinds of doctrine about God and his character and his nature towards us, especially as it relates towards healing. We run off into uh, theories about inoculation. Well, they just you just don't know what's good for you, so take this, <laughs> Yeah, so many thoughts, Lord. So many thoughts. You know, but we have all kinds of analogies that we run into. Say, well, His ways are not my ways, and His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so I just I don't understand this punching in the face that I'm experiencing must be for my benefit. It must be for His glory and for my good. You know, and so I'm just going to take the blows from God. I'm going to take the cancer from God because ultimately He's sharpening my my character. And, And you see that. Right here, this is where it's actually coming from. Can I submit to you that that's all completely wrong? I got one. I got one who knows it. (laughs) (laughs) To come to that conclusion, we actually have to bypass a little thing called hermeneutics. Anybody know what hermeneutics is? (laughs) These beautiful scholars, I see you out there. Hermeneutics basically just the, the, the study of interpretation, the rules applied to interpreting scripture. I mean, for all intents and purposes, just a fancy word for that, right? We actually have to bypass the rules of interpretation to come to the conclusion that most of you in here have heard. What are those rules? So I'm not going to give you those rules. You need to go find those out for yourself. I've got a great series that just dissects it all. Go hunt it down. It's good. For today's purposes, I just want to talk to you about one. Wherever possible, the text should be allowed to interpret itself. Good news, guys. This particular text actually interprets itself. Yay! We don't even have to go hunting for it. You know, the other thing would be to look at the entirety of Scripture and to allow the entirety of Scripture, you know, to speak to a single verse. You can't allow the context or the out-of-context version that you've got in your head of one particular verse to create a doctrine in your mind. You actually have to look at all of Scripture to make sure that what you believe that says is consistent with the whole of the book. Okay, So some of those nuances are happening in this as well. But it actually interprets itself. Let's take a closer look. Let's read verse 7 again. It says, Because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, the Apostle Paul, right before this passage, he's talking to us about this significant download that he got direct from God as he had a third, what they call a third heaven encounter. So, uh, to be specific, you know, Paul was, whether in the body or out of body, he says, he doesn't actually know because it was so tangible. He doesn't know whether it was physical or spiritual. You know, he was brought into heaven. Okay, so, it's in the Bible... That someone was brought into heaven to have a face-to-face encounter with God, where revelation was downloaded. So, I know we—do you understand? Like, there's crazy stuff written in here. Uh, There's crazy stuff that's written for a purpose, maybe so that we could open ourselves up to that kind of experience happening for us. How many of you would like to have a third heaven encounter face-to-face with God where he goes, ah, you've been thinking about some things different, boom, here's the matrix, (laughs) you know, right? I mean, I'll take that right now on stage in front of God and the whole world. I mean, just hook me up, Lord. I, that's... So first of all, I want to submit to you that it's possible, but it was, it was something extravagant. You don't understand that, that the Apostle Paul and Jesus and all that was happening in his earthly ministries was, was coming on the heels of a dry period, a drought, and hearing God in any sort of significant or, or substantial way. 400 years of drought actually, where they would say nothing super substantial has happened, right? So when Paul has this heavenly and Encounter with God. How many of you know it's kind of a big deal, right? So he has this, this heavenly encounter. He, he gets hooked up to, to the heavenly matrix. He gets this mega download, which I would submit to you is very likely where he got his New Testament understanding of grace from. So many of the things you read through what the Apostle Paul says, and you're like, where did he Where is? Where is this at in the Old Testament? Where does he get this? I think he got it direct download from Father in heaven, Right? And, and somewhere in there, be, because of this revelation, the Apostle Paul started to think of himself more highly than he ought. Right? So the issue is, is not that he received the revelation from God. Do you understand that today? The issue is the next line, the next line that says this, to keep me from exalting myself. So again, the issue is that the Apostle Paul struggled with pride. He really thought that he was something because he had this third heaven encounter with God. I may be tempted to think the same. Just saying. Yeah. Right? He thought he was something. See, guys, the issue isn't the revelation. The issue is the pride, the sin of pride that you see on display in the Apostle Paul's life. Now, a couple of things I want to say about that. Number one, did you realize that the Apostle Paul was just a man like any of you? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that what it says about it? It's think like it was Elijah. Elisha, I always get him confused. I think it's Elijah. He's a man just like any of you. You know, and yet he did these extravagant things before the Lord. And I'm saying about Paul, he was a man, a woman, just like any of you. You can do the very things that Paul did. You can experience the very things that the Apostle Paul experienced. Because he was just a flawed person struggling with sin, just like every single person in this room today. And yet somehow that didn't disqualify him from this amazing third heaven encounter through which he wrote the majority of the New Testament that we love today. Let that sink in just a little bit. The Apostle Paul was a flawed human being just like you and just like me. And yet God used him. Why? Because of God's mercy and his blood that covers us and washes us white as snow. I want you to see this this morning, that it's not the revelation that it's the issue, that's the issue. It's not the encounter that's the issue. In fact, God says the encounter is supposed to bring us from glory to glory. The word, and the word glory there could actually be, you could actually equate it to an encounter. I'm not going to teach on that this morning, but it's from encounter to encounter. I'm actually transformed into his likeness. The encounter that Paul had is not the issue, the subsequent pride that was there was, in fact, actually the issue. And the issue that we have is that it opens up a door for the enemy to come and buffet it. How many of you this morning know that sin in our lives leaves a window, a door, a crack, whatever it is, open in our lives for the enemy to come and wreak his destruction in our lives? See, it, it, it's, it's all the way from something in its simplest form. We, Pastor Misty talked about waking up on the wrong side of the bed, and most of us in here have experienced that phenomenon. And I don't fully understand it, but I want to submit to you that it's not just physiological, it can be spiritual as well. We wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and have you noticed that on those days, nothing seems to go well? Yeah? You're just like, oh my gosh, can anything else go wrong today? This is ridiculous. I should have just stayed in bed. Anybody? Why in the world does that happen? Because when you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you are partnering in your mind and your thought and in your behavior and your heart's attitude with sin. And when you partner with sin, it leaves a door open in your life, a door that does what? That allows the enemy to come in and buffet you. And all day long, you experience that buffeting. Let me throw a couple of scriptures at you. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says this, excuse me, uh, be sober of spirit, be on alert for your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, why doesn't he just devour everybody? You thought about that? It's the devil after all, right? I mean, does he like, he wants to destroy everybody, am I wrong? Isn't his job description to steal, kill, and destroy? Well, what do you mean he's prowling around looking for somebody, well, he's prowling around searching for someone who has a crack at a door open in their life due to sin. Otherwise, he doesn't have the authority to come and buffet you. Yeah, amen. You understand that, that, that Jesus, when he, when he was resurrected, I think it was when he was resurrected, he had said, yeah, it has to be. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, he says. And that's where he commissions us. Now you go. He's sending you in the authority that he had, but you have to know especially that he says, all authority has been given to me. When Jesus did what he did, he stripped all authority back from the devil. The devil took it from Adam. The second Adam took it back from the devil. Right? The devil has no power and no authority in your life such, except for what you give to him. Right? And, and that's what we see here. He's, he's searching for someone to devour. He's looking, oh, where, where are the cracks and windows and doors? Who's the one with the stinking thinking? You know, and we talk about our lives being worshipped to God as sweet-smelling incense. Looking at the analogy of the Old Testament, our lives, are worship, as sweet-smelling incense. Well, what is our grumbling and complaining? What's our stinky thinking? What's our, what's our sinful complaining and, oh, I hate this person and that, and my life sucks. I got, oh, it happened again. What does that do? What kind of a fragrance does that put off in the spirit realm? I would suggest to you that it puts off a terrible fragrance in the spirit realm. And just as the angels are attracted to the scent of worship on your life, the demonic spirits are attracted to the stank on your life because of your thinking, because of the open door to sin. Right? So he's looking, prowling around for an opportunity. He doesn't have any authority with anybody else who's got the door shut. Let's look at one more. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, by the way, this one's good, good marriage advice. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now listen to this. And do not give the devil an opportunity. You mean he didn't have an opportunity before I sinned in anger? That's what it says. Don't give the devil an opportunity in your life. The word opportunity there is it means to, to yield space in your mind, your heart means to yield space to him. Now, imagine that you're... Do I have any gamers in here? You don't even want to admit it. Look at you all. All right, so just, I don't know, think back to your Nintendo days, I guess. You know, you're, you're playing the, the war game. Or anybody ever play Risk? Maybe that's a good one. I, okay, I got a few on that one. All right, it's an older generation. I didn't know who I was dealing with, right? You know, you know, and, you know, you, you, you end up looking to occupy territory and on a particular continent and risk, right? You know, and and once you get that occupied, it creates a stronghold that then your army can go off in and and begin to attack the the, the opposition. That's the word opportunity or don't give the devil an opportunity means don't yield part of the continent of your mind to the devil through sin because he'll set up a stronghold there and then begin to attack you right? Don't yield any space to the devil. Well, how in the world do I do that? We stay repentant. This was the message, wasn't it? We live a repentant lifestyle. Oh, Jesus, help me. I shouldn't have said that. I remember when I first got saved. I got saved out of something. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, I got saved out of something. I had a, I had a foul mouth. It's just, you know, that's what was cool in my world, you know. It's like, Maybe some of you are experiencing that this morning. By the way, it is not acceptable for a Christian to cuss. Not even the little ones that have become acceptable. Okay? Are we clear on that? Drives me nuts. You know, when I first got saved, I remember, it was a struggle getting this head right and getting it to come out of my mouth right. You know? And I would say stuff. I remember I was dating Misty, sitting in a kitchen with her mom right there next to me, and I dropped a gallon of milk. I'm trying to win her daughter, and what came out of my mouth wasn't consistent with the ability to be able to do that, <laughs> right? Like, what do you do to fix the problem? I'll tell you what I did. I cried about it. Well, tears don't mean repentance, but they did in this case. I was broken by my sin. I was broken by my inability to be able to control my tongue. God, help me. Like, I, like I was, I'm trying to get rid of this garbage in my mouth, this stuff that fills my mind, this old worldly stuff that continues to get stirred up. Like, I, like I've got to have your grace, God. I've got to have your Holy Spirit. You've got to help me. How many of you know that language has been gone for a very, very long time? And an occasional movie will still pop it up in the noggin, but it doesn't come out of here. Thank you, Jesus. You know? What do you do? You live a repentant lifestyle, constantly being provoked by the sense in which your lifestyle actually hurts someone. It hurts the people that are around you, but first and foremost, your behavior actually hurts God, and that should grieve your soul. That should grieve you to the point of repentance. Jesus. By the way, do you know that repentance actually has fruit? Lord, I'm so sorry for that. You son of a... Yeah, not repentance. Repentance actually has fruit. Repentance means there's something on the inside of me that says, God, I don't want to do that to you again. And it moves me to a place to keep my lifestyle consistent with his word. We all right? doesn't mean I never make a mistake. It just means when the mistake happens, when that thing pops out, when the old man raises up, when, the, when something pops out of my mouth, the old habits that I'm still struggling with. I just, oh, God, it's, it grieves me. I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to continue to fight against this thing until I look like you because you're worthy of that. Amen? This is how we do it. The devil is looking for any opportunity, for any foothold, And I believe, by the way, that's what we're seeing in the scripture. That's what we're seeing in the scripture. So many would interpret this to say, well, it looks like Father God is sending a disease to buffet the apostle Paul so that his character would come into alignment. I want to submit to you, I, I believe that to be erroneous. It doesn't say that God is the one sending the disease. Actually, it doesn't say he's sending a disease at all. You know, it doesn't, we actually apply that to the text, but it doesn't actually, it's not actually found there within it. I believe that what you're seeing is that the Apostle Paul, because he was prone to pride, was leaving a door open whereby the enemy was coming and buffeting him continually. And God had something to say to him about that. Hey, Paul, if you want the buffeting to stop... It's as close away, it's as far away as repentance. You just have to shut the door. I believe that's what's being said here in this scripture. Let's let's just, let's continue to go after it. The apostle Paul, right here close, begins to define exactly what it is. This is verse seven that we're still wrestling with. He says, let's read it again. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. By the way, that was something that was common in terms of language that would be like saying somebody's a pain in my butt you absolutely know what i'm talking about and you've got a few of those in your life already you know you really resonates even as i say that you know it's, it's the same thing you understand there's not an actual pain there right right there's a thorn in my flesh is the same type of phraseology that was actually found uh, among israelites so i'm not going to get into that any deeper but you can go to your old testament to kind of find where that pans out you know, so there was a thorn in the flesh given to him, and then he defines what it is. A messenger of Satan sent to torment me. Others, uh, I think there's another verse that says torture me, which you also see that language even in Matthew 18. You know, a messenger of Satan was sent to torture me. Now, just, just at a quick plain reading of the word, what does that sound like is happening? So I heard Satan doing something. Evil spirits, Demons. Right. A messenger of... Why do we complicate things? A messenger of Satan was sent to torture me. The text actually... Did, no, I'm not saying you're complicating it. I'm saying theologians and people that don't want this to say what it actually says plainly, you know, are the ones that confound it. You know, you all who have not been indoctrinated can read it plainly for what it is and kind of go, a messenger of Satan, well, that sounds like the demonic, and you would be absolutely right. You know, the word messenger in the Greek is the word angelos. It's the word for angel. So let's clarify it a little bit further. An angel of Satan was torturing him. An angel of Satan. Let's see here. An angel of God. An angel of Satan. Yeah, we call those demons. (laughs) So there was a demon released To torture the Apostle Paul, there was a door open in his life via pride. There was sin in his life that was keeping this door open, and a demon was released that continued to buffet and torture him. Are you seeing that there actually in the text? To say that this was Father God, we would have to be comfortable suggesting that Father God sends demonic spirits to torture his children. I'm not very comfortable with that. I believe in looking at the rest of Scripture, that would be inconsistent with his character. God's not sending demonic spirits to torture you. You might have a door open. That buffeting that might happen, it might be indicative of of of, of ongoing sin in your life. Just ask Holy Spirit. He's pretty quick to show you. Lord Jesus, how do I stop this cycle that continues to happen? Just sit before him and get quiet. He'll talk to you. Amen. He wants you rid of that sin more than you do. And some of you, you you've grown so accustomed, so comfortable with it, you don't even know what's in there. But it's been in there forever. And it continues to open a door for the enemy to come buff at you, and you're just like, what in the world is wrong with my life? Why do I have to continue to deal with this? I would suggest to you very likely... There's a sin that you need to deal with that's keeping a door open because the enemy doesn't have authority otherwise. We all right? Let me give you another example. Well, no, I'm not going to give you an example. I'll just, let's just return back to grace. We've been talking about a little bit. Verse eight, second Corinthians 12, verse eight. Let's read it again or read a little more. It says concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it, that it might leave me. And he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for, uh, for excuse me. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. By the way, he's not content with it for any other reason. Just saying. For when I am weak, then." I am strong. See, most people would look at this and they would say that Father God has not answered Paul's prayer. Wait a second. The Apostle Paul went to God three separate occasions asking him, for the love of all things, please deal with this demon that is continuing to torment me. And Father God just didn't answer. He didn't do anything about it. He just gave him a little, get a little pat on the back. But how many of us have looked at this scripture and thought that God was doing the very same thing in our lives? Well, I guess if he didn't answer the Apostle Paul, I guess he's not going to show up and answer me. If he sent a demon to harass, or as it were, sickness, or whatever else you think it is. It's a demon, by the way, however it manifests. It's like, well, if he did that to Paul, then I guess I can't expect him to do anything different for me. How many of us have taken that and run off with that level of thinking, believing that Father God didn't show up, that Father God just set him up for failure, that he was happy to keep Paul beat down and weak? Like, that was the whole goal. You know, keep that demon coming. I, like, I want you to be beat down and weak because when you are terribly weak and distraught and broken mess, well, then I'm strong. That's how we've interpreted that. But can I submit to you that there's two fatal flaws number one father god didn't just sit around and do nothing we'll talk about that in just a second and if our interpretation is 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 the the the, whatever it is that i just said the second thing we would be wrong as well (laughs) he's not looking for us to be a beat down busted up weak people I mean, have you read the promises and the law through, De- like in Deuteronomy? Like you're the head and not the tail. That's the Old Testament promises. And last I read, we're actually in a better covenant, superior covenant. And last I read, Jesus was the model. Is that Right like aren't we supposed to like everything in our life like we're supposed to position ourselves to to go after Jesus And God works all things for good in my life so that I can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus well when was the last time you saw Jesus all beat down and broken busted and disgusted that's some rosyism right there Right, we don't see that in the scripture. By the way, if you think you're like, well, wait a second, no, he got crucified on the cross. It says that he actually gave himself up to be crucified, and he, in his own power, yielded up his spirit for you. That's not broke, busted, and disgusted. That's the ultimate sacrifice, that humility and power and meekness on display for all the world to see. So if Jesus is my model, then I'm here to submit to you that God is not looking for us to be like, oh yeah, and you're broken. I want you to stay beat up and screwed up and angry and a mess because when you're a mess, you're dependent upon me and I can be strong in your life. That sounds like abuse, guys. (laughs) That is not the interpretation of these scriptures. (sighs) On the first one, Just tell him hi for me. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> that God was sitting back and doing nothing. Let me just hit that real quick. Father God looks at Paul and he says, Hey, Paul, my, my, grace, my grace is sufficient for you. you. You need to understand that if the grace was sufficient, then that means Father God had already released it. So God wasn't sitting around pff, flippantly not answering Paul's prayer. He had preemptively released grace to Paul. And what he's suggesting in this moment is that when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, is he's saying that my grace is all you need for victory in this moment, in this buffeting that you're experiencing. God, please take away this demon. He's saying, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Like, I'm not just waiting around looking at you fail. I have already empowered you with my grace to overcome everything that the enemy will throw at you. Yes, you're right, like this demon comes and it's continuing to torment you, the word says, right? Yeah, I acknowledge that, but I have preemptively already released to you all that you need to be successful in being able to close the door to the enemy. We could say it another way, Paul, if you want the enemy to go away, just shut the door to sin. You already have the power. How many of you know you, because of the blood of Jesus, have been given everything that you need right now today? For life and for godliness. Hallelujah. That the Bible says that there, is, that there is nothing that you can experience, that God hasn't already provided a way of escape. Nothing! What does that mean? It means you don't have to go down the road of the pitfall of sin any longer. It doesn't matter how long it's been in your past, that there's grace available for you, just as there was the Apostle Paul, for you to actually rise up in power. And listen, do what you could not have otherwise done on your own. But God, I don't think that I can do it. I don't think I can get over this sin. Yeah, you're right. You can't do it. Good news. You're not by yourself anymore. You know, good news, he's actually released grace to you to empower, not to cover over your sin, not to be oh, it's okay, Jesus, you know, he understands, I'm just a flawed human vessel, and it's all good. No, that's exactly the opposite. It's like, no, he's released the grace not to cover over or to release like a forgiveness to my sin. He's released grace that empowers me not to have to do that anymore. It's Romans 6 all over the place. You know, I am no longer a slave to sin. Why? Because Jesus has sent everything that I need to be able to walk in the way that he walked. By the way, in John, it commands us to do that very thing. Walk as Jesus walked. Let me give you one last example. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. This is also the apostle Paul speaking. He says... For I am the least of the apostles. By the way, this isn't, this isn't false humility. This isn't false humility. You know, the, the apostle Paul was the least of the apostles. You know, he didn't even walk with Jesus. You know, he, he wasn't one of the 12 or 13. You know, he he wasn't, he he didn't get to, he wasn't personally tutored by Jesus on the earth for for three years, three and a half years. You know, he, he wasn't a part. In fact, anything, he was like he was in school, you know, training to be a Pharisee, you know, and, and, and as a result of that became a murderer and a blasphemer. He was the least of all of these apostles, right? So this isn't false flattery. For I am the flattery, for this is the, for I'm the least of the apostles. I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But the grace of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God, he's still an apostle. By the grace of God, he's still empowered by God for a purpose and to accomplish whatever was on God's heart. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I, even, but I labored even more than all of them. I'm not reading this very good. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. I, I, I love that he adds the caveat, yet not I, but the grace, because that gives us razor sharp absolute clarity on what he's saying. Had he not said that last phrase, I think we would have been tempted to say something like, well, the apostle Paul's got a special gift on his life, and, yeah. you know, and, and God blessed him, and he's able to do some amazing things. He says, no, guys, it's, it's not me. <laughs> How do we get grace? It's a gift of God because of his mercy and kindness towards us, right? Right? Why was the apostle Paul called an apostle walking in the power that he walked in? Because it was a gift of God on his life. He didn't have to be good enough. He didn't have to strive for it. He didn't have to do everything with perfection. He didn't have to have the right last name. None of that stuff. Didn't have to have money. None of it. He stepped into it because it was the grace of God. It was the gift of God on his life. But that last phrase tells us, he's saying, no, listen, the, because there was grace released to me. The grace actually empowered me. It wasn't even me, because I couldn't do it before. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do the things that I do. I couldn't think the way that I think, but for the grace of God that was released to me, not to cover, but to empower me. And what does that empower him to do? To go beyond all of his peers. You know, to work harder and longer and faster and to be better and to he had grace on his life that was empowering him to become and to do something that he otherwise did not have the ability to do in his own merit or his own strength. See guys like grace isn't isn't this this blanket covering that alleviates the pressure of perfection or sinlessness where it's like well the grace of god it covers me and protects me thank you glory to god so grateful for jesus and what he did for me now i'm grateful for jesus and what he did through his mercy and his blood but, but his grace is something altogether different. And the, the grace of God doesn't empower me to stay as I was when he found me. The grace of God doesn't say, oh, it's okay, it's fine. I'm just going to throw a blanket on that. That's fine. You don't have to change. You don't have to improve. You don't have to do it. No, that's not what grace does. Grace empowers me to step in and do and become something that I would have never otherwise been able to become or do in my own strength. It empowers me. The grace of God is available to you this morning as a gift. I'm going to say it again, not to cover your sin, but to empower you to get out of it. See, whatever your struggle is this morning, whatever your calling is, the grace of God is sufficient for you. Man, sometimes that's my, that's my prophecy over my own life. And I'm going through something. I just remember the scripture and I say, Lord Jesus, your grace is sufficient for me. What am I saying? I'm saying I'm going to make it to the other side of this because God has empowered me to do so. I'm going to step out of this sin because God has empowered me to do so. I'm going to step into my calling because God has empowered me to do so. His grace is sufficient for me and his grace is sufficient for you. Amen? Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and for your blood that was spilled. You are the Psalm 103 God who, who forgives all of my iniquities, who heals all of my diseases. Your, your blood does create a wall of separation between me and my past, and me and my enemies, and me and my sin. You have washed us white as snow we thank you for your mercy and we thank you God this morning for your grace that takes me a step beyond (laughs) your grace that empowers me to become what I could not become otherwise I thank you God that I don't have to bring anything to the table it is a free gift and a free gift is received by faith so this morning we position ourselves to receive from you many of us are struggling with various things some of us have get long since given up believing that we're not ever going to win this struggle Jesus we rest in you this morning we receive your grace by faith we are overcomers empowered by your spirit to see the traps of the enemy and to avoid them We receive your mighty grace this morning. We receive your gift, Jesus. We receive your empowerment. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.